I was desperate, you know, at the time I was 17, 18, unemployed, you know, and I was desperate to, you know, to get a break. And I knew that if I did get a try, I would, you know, I would grab the chance. I think it was always going to be boxing. I mean, I stepped into the gym as a 10 or 11 year old. Boxing just took hold of my heart straight away. I love everything about the sport of boxing. Hello, I'm Marie Crow, and this is We Become Heroes, the RTE sport podcast that explores how elite athletes and sports people reach the top of their game and the lessons that they learned along the way. My guest today is three-time major champion and Ryder Cup captain, Podrick Harrington. Podrick, thanks so much for coming on. How are you and how busy are you? Yeah, I'm quite busy because... Uh... Well, first of all, I am. I'm doing quite well. I'm very, you know, even in these strange times, I'm, I'm managing well. Uh, in terms of busyness, yeah, I've got the Ryder Cup to organise and what goes with that in terms of my team. But I'm also trying to play as well. So it, it's kind of, it's 50-50, which is taking up my time. Maybe more the Ryder Cup at this stage, but I, I am still trying to be an active player, uh, which kind of complements a little bit the Ryder Cup. At least I'm out at the events. Uh, but I do see... The last couple of Ryder Cup captains from Europe were were, were more or less full-time captains. So it, it, it's a tough job. It, it requires a lot of effort to be put into being captain now, much more so than maybe 20 years ago. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a big commitment to try and be a player and a captain at the same time. Yeah, I'd say it is. Is, is there a talk at times, you know, where you want to put yourself first, oh. put the team first? Absolutely. Uh, I think that's that's kind of changed around now in the, in the last couple of months where it's very much the team first. And I, I think the hard part for me as a player, I, I, I'm usually quite a busy person at golf tournaments. So I'm doing my thing. Uh, but as a captain, I, I have to stop and take the time and, and spend more time with the players and make sure that I'm, uh, I'm doing my captain's duties ahead of my playing duty. So it just means... Means just stepping back a little bit from what I would normally do, maybe not doing quite as much practice as I would do, which isn't a bad thing, uh, you know. So just just taking it, just taking a bigger picture of it, really is all all that mark all that I have to do. That must be difficult when you're playing well. Yeah, well, you know, some are playing when you play well, you have to do less work. So usually, when you're playing well, you don't, you 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 you. Don't interfere. You don't do as much practice. You 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 rest up more, uh, and you're certainly not going to the range to try and find it. So if you're playing good golf, golf, you know what goes on around the golf becomes a lot easier. It's when you're struggling a bit that you tend to actually have to put in more work, and uh, you get caught up in that. So I, I have been playing well and quite comfortable with my game and my swing. So I haven't had to spend as much time on the range or that, and and it gives me frees up time to to spend a little bit more time with the players. Are you getting more comfortable with every part of your game as you get older and um, I guess you don't have as much golf in front of you? I, 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 well, golf's a great game that you can keep going and, and wherever I'm going to be, I, I'm trying to be competitive with the young guys still and I am at times. Uh, but if I'm not, I'll, I'll move on to the Champions Tour and, and, and keep playing. So there's there's a full schedule of golf ahead of me for years to come, hopefully 30 years to come, uh, not just 10 years. So uh, I intend to be being rolled out when I'm 80 years of age and waving at the crowds and hitting ceremonial shots. So it's one of those things. Golf is a great game that it extends that long. But I want to be competitive. I want to be competitive against young guys. So I, I work at a hard, I work at my fitness 
Uh, I try and keep up and, and and so far I'm doing it. Uh, I'd like to play a little bit better on the golf course, but mainly that that's mostly mental. Uh, you know, as I often say, as you gain experience, you kind of lose a little bit of innocence and there there must be a sweet spot somewhere along the line where you're experienced and and, and you have that naivety and, and, you know, no scar tissue, let's say. Uh, and so at some stage you pass that and it gets a little harder as you get older in that sense. Uh, and I, I think when you've gone past maybe your peak, you're always worried that, you know, you're, you're not worried, I suppose it's the wrong word, but that scar tissue is there and you always feel a little bit on the edge when it comes to competing. You feel like you, you can't take uh, many knocks, many mistakes and still win. And that, that kind of puts you under a bit more pressure. So you're a little bit out of your comfort zone as you get as you uh, maybe pass your peak. A lot of or nearly all sports stars and, and athletes have to deal with retirement and it often is a really difficult thing to face. You know, people say you often grieve twice if you're a sports star when you lose somebody or when you have to give up the game that you're in. But technically, you don't have to do that. You just can keep going. But you have to deal with aging and things not going the way that you'd like them to go or the way that they used to go, um, you know, a decade ago or that. Is that difficult to cope with? I, I I really am fascinated watching the other sports stars when they have to give up their sport and retire. Uh, and I often see, you know, you might see a, a soccer player retiring, and I will call it soccer, I'm sorry, but I, I spend a lot of time in the States, and he might retire at 32 or 33, and you're wondering, well, could he squeeze another three, four years out of that, or another year out of it, and, you know, he'll be retired long enough. And it, it's a constant battle for for athletes because they never look past their sport or very rarely look past what they're doing in the now. Thankfully, golf, as I said, there's always another level to move on to. As I said, I, I, I can move to the Champions Tour now in, in six months' time and, and be out there competing against the same people I competed against for the last 25 years and be competitive. Uh, so you don't have to retire, but then your priorities change. So, you you know, the, the age of your family profile and what's going on. So for a lot of my career, my family would have followed me around. They would have traveled with me and, and followed my schedule. Uh, at this stage, my kids are, are are teenagers and they don't follow me anymore. They're, they're interested in what they're doing. So the schedule is not set by me anymore. It's set by them. Uh, and, you know, so priorities change and, and things move on. So I do see that in my in my career. But I, I don't see in terms of me being a competitor and 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 you know, playing tournaments, I can go on for a long time. And, and I'm motivated to do that. I did, by the way, I did maybe a few years ago when golf got kind of really hard for me uh, a few years ago, I would have I would have definitely explored a few different avenues, uh, would have looked at whether I wanted to do other things in golf. Now, not, not like, you know, I'm talking, would it be commentary? Would it be coaching? Stuff like that. And, and I realised that I actually like playing golf. I like what I do. I'm a... Uh, uh, you know, all these other things, while I enjoy doing them as well, I still like the golf. Okay, the competition wasn't going so well, so I, I found another way of liking it, and that was to enjoy what goes on in and around the golf. And I enjoy, I'm, I'd i say I enjoy myself on tour much more now than I would have 20 years ago in, in the sense of it was all about competing 20 years ago. Now I make sure that, uh, you know, I enjoy the venue I'm at in terms of the cities or whatever, wherever I'm going, I'm making sure I'm enjoying myself much more than I would have uh, 
are taking in more than I would have 20 years ago. I, I won't say necessarily enjoying it because obviously there was a different type of enjoyment. The competition was the enjoyment uh, back in the day. Now, the, the whole the whole event. I, I don't think there's many people who are, who like golf that wouldn't want to do what I do for a living that or for, for even a pastime. That is a fact. It does sound like a, a lovely existence that you have and that you had for such a long time. I want to try and figure out where this competitiveness came from and how you managed to get to the top of a sport that is really, really hard to figure out to nail and to excel at. So I'm going to take a little bit of a trip down memory lane with you and I'm going to start with what your earliest memory of sport is. I, yeah, I, I'm not really sure. I, I think I can remember, and, and this is a strange one, if, if, when I was four years of age, helping to level the 12th green in Stacksdown Golf Club. So physically manual labor of my little small feet. We, the people, the golf course was built pretty much by hand. And on the 12th green, they got the members out or the members of the family, whoever were there. And we actually had to pat along the green on our feet. And I, I was doing that at four. Now, whether I was partaking, I can remember being involved. At that. My older brothers had to pick the stones off the fairways, but I, uh, less physical work. But that probably is my earliest memory. I can remember being in the garden uh, playing football my brothers I had a brother about a year and a half older than me and pretty much hung out with him when I was a kid uh, which was very influential on my sport because I thought I was a year and a half older and, and I did everything at a year and a half older's pace if, if you know what I mean so I would have played football and uh, we would have chipped in the back garden as, as we got a little bit older so a lot uh, outside of that in terms of of TV of, of other sporting occasions I'm really don't have a great younger memory of those sort of things you have a lot of brothers yeah four older brothers wow so that's always really good grounding i think when you're trying to isn't it a huge influence don't they say like most of the like most of the uh, 100 meter champions in the world were the youngest of big families and they're always trying to keep up keep up uh, it certainly, it, and if you looked at my case, my older brothers would all have had jobs when they were teenagers. The minute they were teenagers, they would have had, you know, lounge boy type jobs working in, in, in different things. Whereas I never had to work. As the youngest, I, I got to just play my sports and didn't have to take a weekend job. Yeah, I have uh, six siblings, so I know exactly what that's like. The youngest is uh, was was really like that. Um, so who were your sporting um, heroes when you were growing up? Yeah, that, that's interesting. I was very much a doer. I never really watched. I, I wasn't into uh, watching sports so much. I was much more playing. And I played everything I could get hold of. I was outdoors playing all the time. Uh, so I would have played Gaelic and hurling as a kid. I would have played uh, soccer. I would have played golf. I would have played anything I could get hold of. I would have been out in the road playing tennis during Wimbledon. I would have been, you know, played a bit of basketball. Whatever was available, I played. So I wasn't a great person for sitting in. And even to today, I, I'm not a great person for for sitting and following. I'm much more of a of a player. So my role models when I was a kid, I was just trying to beat the person next to me. So I spent obviously my younger years trying to beat my older brother. Uh, the, the immediate older brother and then as I got better at golf I would have been trying to beat my my older siblings who were obviously a lot better than me uh, and then once I, I would have started trying to beat the guys in the club and then people outside the golf club 
So always trying to focus on people uh, immediately around me and trying to be, just beat that person. And, and something I think is, it, it really helps in sport. I often, when I look at, you know, kids training and things like that, you know, if you, if you, if you put 10 kids into a, in, into a race or, you know, 20 kids at a training ground into a race, it, well, the, the fastest guy's going to win and everybody else is not going to bother trying. Or maybe the second guy might try because they know they're not going to win. But if you put two people into a race, so if you split them into 10 groups of two and the 19th slowest and the 20th slowest are in the same group, well, I guarantee you the 20th will try and beat the 19th. And I was very much like that. I, I picked the person who was next to me, who was next on the ladder. And I just tried to figure out why are they better than me? and maybe beat them at their skill, knowing that I had other skills. And, and just, I did that all my life, uh, very much in golf, but I definitely did it in all sports. I just gravitated to who who was the best around me and just then try. And, and obviously I had good role models in my in my older brothers uh, and my dad, who, who was obviously a successful sportsman. So there was good movement in the family coming from my dad. And like, I can't say... Like my older brothers would say, my dad would train them up for the sports days and things like that. But generally, my brothers trained me up for things. So if I was getting, you know, for the sack race, put your feet in the corners and different things like that. So, uh, yeah, look, uh, you know, we, you were, my you brothers were, You were being trained to go out for the school sports days and like the, the technicalities of the sack race and the egg and spoon. <laughs> Of course it was, yeah. And we practiced the three-legged race and all sorts. Yeah, that's that was we were a competitive family. Uh, but so. not but it wasn't coming from my dad at that stage, even though my brothers would say that they, they would have got it from, from my, my dad. It was coming from my brothers for me. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, my dad, you know, parents will always tell you this, they they do everything with the oldest child, if you know what I mean. And and by the time it gets to the youngest, the youngest is go on, get out there and do it yourself. But it was definitely an influence of my brothers on me and, and especially the one just older me you can't overestimate having a brother like 18 months older than you who you you just who you're constantly trying to beat and compete against uh was certainly the, the the role model for me i'd say as well the fact that you had such a big family and so many boys who were so active that your mom was probably just like, go out and play. Like, I don't want you sitting inside watching the television. Get out from under my feet, go and play and give me a bit of time here to do a few bits and pieces. Yeah, look, I, you know, I often look back at that with my with my parents because my dad was a successful sportsman, but he didn't seem, he was competitive to sport, but he wasn't a very competitive, like he didn't push us out at all when it came to sport. Uh, it what, what really was there was such a contrast in that nature because I know he was competitive, but then he lost two All Ireland finals and he never didn't have any regrets. It wasn't bitter about it, so he couldn't. Have, he definitely was competitive, but it, there's definitely a, a real contradiction there because I wouldn't have seen it so much. My mum was quite competitive, so you know, even though she wasn't the sporting one, she she certainly would had was certainly a bit more active and, and had, had a bit more drive in that sense. As kids, though, yeah, we didn't spend any time in the house. We were, we were outside, not necessarily throwing out, but outside. Yeah. We, we'd want, we, we, look, back in the day, you were told dinner's at five o'clock. Yeah. Be back. Uh, and that was it. You you, you went down to, the, we, I was ballyboating St. Enders. We'd go down there and, and, and play around there or we, there was always somewhere to go and 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 play and compete and do do what we want, you know, just have fun. So uh, it really was a question of 
you know, kids calling around and 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 uh, there'd be local kids. We'd go out in the field and play play football across the road. There was plenty of kids my age, a little older than me actually, most of them. And and we'd 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 play all day every day and be back for five o'clock. Uh, I think uh, the invention of the microwave was probably the worst thing that could ever happen. That you could be late for dinner then. Yeah, I totally get that. So, uh, at what stage then did you realize that you had some talent for sport? I, I would have, I would have had a pretty big ego as a kid. Uh, you know, I, I, I captained my school football team, uh, Gaelic team. I like my last game was in Crow Park uh, in in the school's final. So, like, I, 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 I was good at. I would have thought Gaelic football was my sport. Uh, I pretty much. Whatever sport I turned my hand to, I felt I was good at and competitive at. And, uh, you know, I, I played, as I said, I played a lot of different sports, soccer as well on the, on the weekend. So, yeah, I thought it was good. Uh, you know, I was a big, I was a big, big kid as well. I was, I was as big as anybody in, in my school growing up. So, that, you know, that's obviously an advantage. And I was fast and all, all that goes with it. But what really happened to me was at about 13, I was playing golf. I love golf. I used to play in the summer, but I started winning at golf. And and when you start winning, and especially with the, we were okay at the Gaelic, but my soccer team started playing two different teams. Uh, especially just we, I played for Bradford Rovers and we schoolboy A division, but we used to lose a lot. And I was the goalkeeper. Oh. That meant I let in a few goals. <laughs> uh, and you know when you're letting in a few goals on the weekend or you're winning on the golf. Which are you going to choose? So I, I gravitated to golf. I think I gravitated because I was good and winning. So about 13 years of age, I started to want to play golf. About 14 years of age, I started to want to not play other sports because of golf. I wanted to. I, so on the weekend, I wanted to go play a golf competition rather than a football. And and that that's difficult if you're the goalkeeper as well because you can't leave you can't let your team down if you're the only goalkeeper. So eventually, I had to give up other sports. And uh, you know, I probably I kept playing them in school, but sort of 14, 15 years of age is when I started to drift away from club sports and 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 play just uh, competitive golf. So what what's that journey like back when you were when you were embarking on it, trying to? I guess nearly discovered that there could be a career there for you. Like you're mid-teens, you're starting to play quite a lot of it. Like, are you seeing pathways? Are you just still thinking, I'm just going to play this because I like it and I'm good? You don't, I definitely didn't know anything about pathways. This is the 80s. And, and to be honest, it's, the contrast between then and now is, is incredible. Like, So there was a lot of competition in golf back then but it was local competition so essentially you start off you, you compete in your own club and you beat the other juniors once you're beating them there's other junior competitions in the local clubs you go and play in those and you start competing once you start competing in that you meet other kids and there's some regional tournaments in Leinster uh, like the Wicklow Wicklow boys and things like that the Leinster boys once you play those then you start entering the Connacht boys and there's regional events around the country and then all of a sudden you're into you know, if you get good enough, you're starting to play in national events and you might. So I got picked to play for Ireland. I, I would it's kind of out of the blue, the under 18 Irish boys team when I was 15, uh, off the back of a couple of good performances in, in, in that year, uh, 1987. So it kind of was out of the blue and, and nobody would have expected it. Uh, but, you know, you all of a sudden at 15 years of age and playing for Ireland. 
Now that's my sport. And, and I see that with a lot of sports. Most good sports people, they play the sport that is local to them and that they're good at. So like if, if there was a hockey club between me and, and, and the golf club, my, my golf club was 15 minutes from my home. There is actually a hockey club. But if my dad was a member of the hockey club, that probably would have been my sport, if you know what I mean. You yeah. pick the sport that's near you, that you can get to, that's convenient, and the one that you're winning at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and golf just happened to be that. And I, it did help me that, as I said, I think the winning helped, but it did help that it was within my control and it was up to me uh, how much I did. I liked the idea of not letting in three goals at the weekend and getting blamed when it was actually not my fault. <laughs> did you want to be a goalkeeper or were you putting goals? I, 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 was, I was typical. I was... Uh, and this probably ended my Gaelic football career. So as I said, I, I would have captained my school football team and played full back. Uh, but when I played club football uh, for Ballyboat in St. Dennis, my date of birth is the 31st of August, which is one day old. So I ended up playing club football with a team that was a year older than me and they weren't my friends. So what did they do with the kid that they don't know? You go in goals. So once I went in goals in Gaelic football, Okay, what did you do with the Gaelic footballer when you go playing soccer? You go on goals. So I ended up in goals out of just an accident. And I, I, look, I I I, I like playing in goals. It was it I enjoyed it, but I can see why I didn't gravitate to the sport, and maybe you know I didn't, you know maybe didn't advance because. It's not the play. It's a like. There's a lot of golfers who are goalkeepers. Really, it would be yeah. A lot of you talk to golfers when they talk about this, but yeah, I played in goals. Maybe because the two have some similarities, as in it's it's individual, it's selfish, it's 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 the success and failure of what you do is not. You know, whether the team you can have a good day and the team can lose, you can have a, a bad day to keep the win. It's very rarely, you know, the two aren't always linked up, and golf is kind of like that. You have to go out there and play. It 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 doesn't the result doesn't necessarily it requires a lot of mental strength to be a goalkeeper and to be a golfer. It requires a lot of yeah, it's an individual part, you know, and, and both of them are very individual and you have to deal with those emotions. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of similarities. Uh, but yeah, golfers tend to be a little bit mad, and we know all goalkeepers are mad. So. <laughs> That's actually what I was just about to ask: was that yeah. say goalkeepers are a bit mad? You'd have to be a bit mad to go in there. So does that then yeah. transfer to golf? Yeah, it's it. it I think you don't have to be mad to start off as a goalkeeper. You have to be mad to survive as a goalkeeper <laughs> to deal with the like you could you can imagine you can you can be a goalkeeper and and when the team wins, you know the guy who scores is the one celebrating. Mm-hmm. You know, the goalkeeper gets none of the glory. And, you know, he, he, you know, he lets in a goal. It doesn't matter how well, how, how well he did. If a goal goes in, it's still against his clean sheet is gone, even if it's not his fault. And, it, you know, it's just, it's a miserable position to be in and you have to be so strong mentally. And sometimes so strong mentally means you have to be as mad as a hatter. Uh, to deal with the, the the highs and lows of it, and and and, it, and golf is the exact same. It, it, you couldn't, you know, it's an individual sport. You train yourself, you do your thing, and you know everything that happens. As much as you can do your best, is somewhat outside your own control. Yeah, that's that's for sure. And just on the 
the decision. So when you did you decide I'm going to or did you face a decision where you had to give up your other sports to play golf or did it just happen that way? I had to give up. Uh, I very much because you were letting down a team, especially as the goalkeeper. So the, the, all of my I played three games a weekend. So I played two soccer games and a, and a Gaelic football game every weekend in goals when I was like 13, 14 years of age. And if I wanted to go play in golf, that meant I let down. They didn't have replacement goal. You know, very few teams would have had a two goalkeepers. So essentially, I was seriously letting down the team. So I, I, did, I had to make a conscious decision. No, guys, I'm not coming back next year. I'm out of this. I, I'm playing golf. And, and yeah, I liked it, but I prefer golf. So I went down my way. But it had to be a conscious decision. And it wasn't. I wasn't thinking I was going to be a professional golfer or anything. I just was enjoying the success I was having at golf and, and, and wanted to do it more and more. Yeah, it sounds like it was fun, which is important. Oh, yeah. Obsessive too. <laughs> so when did that creep in, actually, or was it always there? I think that was, that's, my, that's always been my personality. Uh, you know, I've been quite focused. So, you know, I'd be the same as a lot of kids if I was... You know, I'd, I'd spend hours in the garden trying to do keepy-uppies and stuff like that when I was a kid and, and I'd time in the lane, kicking a ball against the wall or whatever. I, I would I would go out and do stuff and keep going at it. And it never seemed like it was never worked to me or anything like that. It was always uh, joy. But yeah, I could spend hours and hours and hours doing it. And I did. And the same with golf. I, I You know, my brothers would tell the story. They'd often be up at the golf course and this when I was you know maybe 14 years of age and they'd be up at they'd be 18 or over so they'd be up in the evening time playing snooker and that at the golf club late and I'd be up there I'd ask them to bring me up and I'd be putting on the putting green with the light the light from the toilets coming out on the on the green the little light coming out of this you know out of the clubhouse reflecting on the green when it's dark uh, I'd be there at 10 10 o'clock at night putting away and that's what I did. They'd be in having fun playing snooker. I'd be outside having fun putting. So you had talent and you had a work ethic. Which do you think kind of stood more to you as you progressed? Uh, work work ethic, always. Uh, I'm not a great believer in this idea of talent. Uh, I believe the environment creates it. So my personality and, and my want and all that got me to where I was. Uh, you know, there is talent in the sense that, you know, you, you know, there's talent in the sense of what size you're going to be and and, and stuff like that. But it, it's more your environment who, who even like I'm sure as a baby, you know, if you like my dad, as I said, was an athlete. So I would have been looking at an athlete from from being a baby onwards and would have seen the movement. So that, you know, that's the talent that my environment would have given me and the drive, as I said, you know, being the youngest of five boys obviously gave that to me. You'd be always competing and and, and fighting for your share. Uh, so yeah, I, I much more. I I I'm much bigger believer in environment. That and even if it, even if there is such a thing as talent, environment and work and your work ethic will always overcome talent. Now it would be very nice to have have it easy and be a beautiful have beautiful movement and have a work ethic, which obviously some of the top athletes would, would be like that. But in general, work ethic will always overcome what people think is talent. But, you know, when you look back at talent, it, it's 
the likelihood is they put the effort in the work in but there's there's no doubt there there are kids as i said who have you know beautiful movement at a young age and you'd have to look back why why is that uh but who knows what their environment you know led them to that yeah and then what about when you were developing as an athlete like when you were heading towards a uh, late teens what did you work at the most when you were practicing and when you were trying to improve so i never had any formal coaching uh, as as a kid i think my first lesson was when i was 15 i would have went to washi sullivan uh who's the local pro in in a golf club beside me the grange golf club and then i would have at 15, once I made the international team, I got into the national panel and I would have got a, a couple of lessons there. So, But there was no coaching in my background, really. Uh, I got a lot of, I suppose, learning by watching from my from my dad, particularly, and from my, my brothers in terms of get the job done. And, and there was more of a focus on that in our house than anything else. So, uh, you know, when it came to golf, it was what you scored, not how you scored. So there was not, there was, you know, we didn't talk about, well, you got to hit the golf ball well, or you got to swing the club well, or anything like that. It was, what did you score at that hole? And we don't care how you got it done. As in, if you missed the green and chipped and put it or chipped it in, well, that's just as good as hitting it on the green and holding the putt. And I think, so I was, I was learning from watching and learning from, from my, uh, my peers around me much more so than I was from a formal sort of coaching system or or any elite uh, coaching system, and, and to be honest, that that's a kind of legacy that I've kind of stuck with. That I, I spent a lot of my professional career trying to search for the stuff I feel I didn't have as a as a as a kid or as a teenager. I wanted to become better at swinging the golf club and better at the ball striking end of things, uh, where. I always felt I had the competitive so I've always had that knack for being able to win and, and figuring it out, but I've never had the the maybe the I've never felt like I've had the beauty and simplicity of 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 being like a we won't use the word talented, but you know, I've always felt that bit has come hard to me. Do you looking back now wish that you'd had some formal coaching when you were younger? I'd be different. I don't know if that would be a good or a bad thing. You know, I, I'd be a different person. Like my strengths have always been kind of hidden in some, not hidden, but there wouldn't be this, like people when you go watch golf or any sport, you, you generally only see what's on the surface. So you see the movement and you go, well, that, that person moves well, that looks good. Uh, but often to be successful in sport, it's what's behind the movement, the drive, the thinking, uh, the the ability to overcome failure, all, all you know, deal with fear, the stress, all those sort of things. That that's what I have. I have the I have the the hidden talents that you don't necessarily see on the surface. And and yeah, if 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 you, I grew up in a golf course that was very tricky and very windy, and no practice ground. So you're not going to develop a beautiful golf swing in those conditions. You're going to develop if you if you become good, you're going to be good because you're good at thinking your way around the golf course. You're good with your short game. You're you're resilient. Uh, if you grew up in Arizona uh, at altitude, perfect weather, you'd hit the, you'd have a beautiful golf swing. You'd hit the golf ball a long way, which you wouldn't be very 
resilient. You wouldn't have the ability to to figure it out when it goes wrong. So there's always a I, I, we love having this conversation. I love having it going around the world. Where would be the best conditions to to learn to play golf? Where would you want to come from? Uh, you know, warm sunny weather would definitely help when it comes to being swinging the golf club well. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of different things that, and, and nearly every golfer, pretty much every golfer is is definitely a, is a product of their environment in terms of how they play the game. Like if you watch all the South Africans, nearly like 99% of South Africans come out, hit the golf ball miles because they play a lot in warm weather or altitude. And it's easy to hit the golf ball a long way. You get up in the morning, it's warm, your muscles feel good, you can hit it through the air. You didn't want to hit the golf ball in the air a long time in Ireland because if you put the ball up in the air for a long time, it's going to get blown into the rubbish. Uh, so you had to keep the ball down. and you, you, So it wasn't worth your while being a good swinger and striker of the golf ball in Ireland. It was much better off uh, you know, having that control. So it, it's, it, it, it's, that's a great thing about golf. It's catch-22. What, what environment develops the best golfer? Uh, but the reality is, your environment dictates your personality as a golfer and mine very much was dictated by stacks down golf. Have you came to a conclusion to where it would be the best place to develop and uh, grow as a golfer? Uh, I think you're looking at a warm, windy climate. So warm is definitely a big help for golf. Windy, it requires you to be a good ball striker, but also requires you to to be able to get up and down and struggle. So warm, somewhere like uh, Buenos Aires, somewhere like that. Argentina is a pretty, it's some, this, mm, yes, it could, could Spain could be quite good in places, you know, if you go coastal or whatever, but definitely de- warm is a big help when it comes to hitting the golf balls. Cold weather does not, putting rain wear on does not help, uh, but it does help with your mind. So what happens is you tend to find with Irish golfers, we tend to be very, good mentally because we're used to being resilient being out there and probably we've had a few really good swingers over the years but you know Rory obviously is a a good swinger the golf ball and hits it well Uh, golf club I think you'd have to go I'm trying not to go through I'm going to forget people if I start naming but somebody like Chris O'Connor Sr you go back was a great swinger at the golf club but in general uh, Irish players have been much more doers than than would be better than we, we haven't been uh, better competitors maybe than our, than our swing alludes to. You look at somebody like an Eamon Darcy or something who was a great ball striker but not a great swinger. Uh, you know, plenty of guys like that who could play the game. We're resilient a lot, but we're not necessarily the 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 most orthodox when it comes to swinging a golf club. So, at what stage or was there ever a moment where you thought, okay, I can make it. I can go on to be top class to be one of the best to mix it with the best in the world I'd say I was probably about about 36 <laughs> before I had that realization so when I was 18 I was like all kids had no idea what I wanted to do I had a brother who was an accountant and he actually brought me down and enrolled me in Rat Mines Technical College to do accountancy at night uh, and I studied accountancy with the idea that I was going to get into the golf industry, maybe as a golf resort manager, something like that. So I was never going to be a professional golfer at 18 years of age. By the time I got to about 
2021. And this is so late now when it comes to golf. And it's so late in sport, but so late in golf now as well. I was beating all the guys in at my level. I was I, I'd never lost a singles match in the home internationals. I was I I was beating everybody. And these guys were turning pro. I'm not talking in Ireland, I'm talking Great Britain and Ireland. I, I was out there beating these guys and these were the best and these were the guys turning pro. And I was going, well, if they think they're good enough to turn pro, maybe I should have a go at this. So I turned pro on when I was 24 on the back of, I was beating the other amateurs. So I, I was, uh, you know, I felt I was the best of the amateurs at that stage. But my expectations of being a pro was very much, I was going to be a journeyman pro. So if I spent five years on the European tour, finishing 50 to 100, I would have considered that a success. Uh, I didn't realize when I went out there, uh, I just played very much like what I did as an amateur. Uh, I just played with blinkers, kept my head down and just played. And every time I went out, I did better than I would have expected or predicted because you know, I had an awful lot of fear that I wasn't good enough. And so I just go out there and just keep doing my thing over and over and over. And I won after 10 weeks. And I would say for two years, I described it for two years. I never drew breath. I just kept going. Never, ever, ever stopped and thought about it. I just kept going. I, I, I'd say two years for without drawing a breath. And I'd say I went a good 12 years before I woke up, especially after the winter break, without the fear that it was all going to go away. So at all stages for my first dozen years on tour, I would have got up every, certainly every winter when you come out, at, you know, to a new year and wonder, was it all going to be taken away? Is this all going to, you know, is it all going to be gone? And that, that fear, and I know people say you shouldn't play with fear, but fear can be a great motivator. And it, it certainly worked for me. I never believed I was I was good enough, and that that drove me along. And and I would say I was a better player in that situation than somebody who who, you know, when you you don't have that fear, you relax somewhat, and and it's not the same. But that kept me motivated. The fact I just didn't I didn't think I was good enough, so I just kept doing my thing. So was it only winning majors that abated that fear, or was there other big events that you thought, okay? I no, it was even after winning majors. So I, I, I turned pro. My first year was '96. So I, I say it does correspond to about 2008. Yeah, maybe it was. It was in and around after that that I realized that whatever is going to happen, I'm still going to be a pro. I'm still going to be competitive. I'm still going to win tournaments. Uh, I'm, it's not all going to. It's not going to go. It's not black and white. It's not just going to disappear. Uh, but it took a long time. I, I, it was definitely twelve years or so, or close to that, maybe fourteen years, where I would have lost that fear of it all disappearing tomorrow. That you know, that maybe it was not a dream, but you know, whatever, whatever I was doing, uh, that it was just going to go away, and and I wouldn't be as competitive. And it, it's a, certainly it's a great way to be. And I I, I tell all the young golfers turning pro that they need to spend I, I reckon two years maybe just because I did two years where they change nothing in their own game that they play their own game 
so selfishly for two years. And at the end of the two years, they can then judge where they stand against their peers. Whereas what happens a lot is people go into a new sport or into a new level. Maybe it doesn't work out the first couple of weeks or whatever, and they start thinking they're not good enough and start changing. But they're changing too early. They need to, everybody needs to establish where they're at. Uh, and the only way to do that is give it a decent run of, of, of doing your own thing, never changing. And then at the end of that, you'll be able to go, well, you know what? I'm not good enough or I need to change this or I am good enough and I might need to do this a little bit. But you, you, it takes a good while. And in golf, we, we're seeing this an awful lot. We're seeing a lot of good players coming out on tour, uh, really talented. And when you come out on tour, you're in a very big pool and they get lost quickly. And then they start scrambling and changing and, and they lose their confidence then after that. And all of a sudden, once that happens, they're never coming back. Whereas if they if they go out with a, I'm doing, and, and when we're looking at who's going to be good, we look for somebody who's a little bit of an individual, who's always been fighting the system a bit because they're more likely to do their own thing, be a bit resilient. And after a while, they'll establish where they stand in the game. And once you have that, picture of it you can establish what you need to do whereas a lot of people change too quickly too early uh, and start thinking that you know they need to do more whereas they need to find out who they are first of all so with that in mind I'm going to move it on to setbacks um everybody has them uh sports people athletes particularly sometimes particularly they get hit hard by them because often it can derail what they want to do what for you has been the biggest setback that you've had to overcome I, I didn't have any. So, you know, as an amateur, things went well. When I went pro for the first two years, uh, no, nobody could have, I couldn't have dreamed of having the start I had. After two years, I changed coach because I felt I needed to move on. Uh, I started working with Bob Tarn. So my performances for a year would have would have gone backwards, uh, but not, not an issue. That was something I consciously did. So there was no loss of confidence in it. Uh, and it was only about a year. And then it came back strong. Uh, I would have started winning again. And, and I would have won. I had a lot of second places in my career. I, I think, you know, I had 29 in, in, in a period up to about 2000. And up to when I won the majors, I had 29 second places. And, and people used to think, you know, that I was kind of always going to be the bridesmaid, but I was winning as well. I'd won about a dozen events in that period too. So it wasn't so bad. I think, uh, I, yeah, there wasn't, you know, I, after I won my majors, I, I, I played better the following years without winning. Uh, and it wasn't maybe on to 2013 that my game went a bit south. I started putting badly. Uh, got the yips on the greens, which is, you know, if anybody's into golf, well, no, that's no fun. Uh, and it's been a bit of a struggle since then. And maybe in the last couple of years, I've kind of just changed my my outlook to what I'm looking for in golf, how I'm in the difference. I'm enjoying it more. And that's helping me be out there rather than, you know, beating myself up, which you probably, you know, when you're, when you're struggling, you do tend to just get down to yourself and fight harder and work harder now. Uh, I know I'm going to work hard. I know I'm going to I'm going to put the effort and put the fight in. So I actually have to tell myself to chill out a bit and relax and not not stress. But there wasn't really. I've had some injuries, but no 
nothing that's been a setback in my career, nothing. I, I you know, like pivotal moments in my career. I lost it an Irish youths event when I was 18 years of age. So that's under 21s. I was 18 and I, I was two ahead with three to play and bogeyed the last three holes. And I, I, I was called a choker and I cried in the car park afterwards. And, not, you know, I was devastated that I, that I did. It's one thing to lose an event, but when you're winning, it's, it, you know, and you give it up. And I, and, I, and I thought I choked. And, that you know, there could be no worse feeling if you feel like you haven't got the bottle. And uh, so th- that could have been a setback, but it wasn't because I, I started working with... Uh, with a sports psychologist, I went to Dr. Aidan Moran, who, who out of UCD, has since passed away, obviously, but uh, I started working with him. So it was actually a move forward. And, and maybe everything, when you, if you look at throughout my career, anything that's happened to me, I use it to, to change course and move on. And, uh, you know, uh, there's no doubt working with Dr. Aidan Moran, then I moved on to work with Bob Rotella, uh, you know, who's probably the, the main guy in golf sports psychology and, and all these things drove me forward to, to where I am uh, or drove me forward to at least winning those majors and, and on. And, and, and yeah. Nothing derails me. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, like I've done a few of these now and you're the first person that has not seen something that could have been a setback as a setback that has just driven on from that so it's quite interesting to hear that. Uh, it's just a different a different mindset. So who do you think then has had the biggest impact on your career? Uh, I've had a lot of influences. Um, you know, no doubt my family, brothers, dad, mum, no doubt about that. Uh, mainly influenced by people I could see. So if I was in the club, I'd want to beat the guy who was better than me. And once I was beating him, I wanted to beat the guy in the next club who was better than me. Uh, and once I was in the region, I wanted to be the best in the region and beat that guy. So I, I looked, you know, Bobby Kinsler was the best player, 15-year-old, when I was 15, and he was a better iron player. So I wanted to become a better iron player so that I could beat him, that sort of way. So I, I, I liked pulling apart other people and seeing what made them tick, why they were good, and then try and beat them at their own game. So if you and me went for a game of table tennis, I'd have no, if you were way better than me, I'd have no interest playing you in table tennis. If you were way worse than me, I'd have no interest in playing you in table tennis. I'd practice against you. But if you were slightly better than me, especially if you were better than me, I'd be really interested in playing. And I'd play, play table tennis against you until I could beat you. I would go and practice until I could figure out a way of beating you. If you're marginally better, if you're way better, I have no interest because I don't think I can bridge that gap. But if you're a little better, I'm just looking, how can I beat you? And, and I'd have no interest if I was better than you. If I was already better than you, I, I, couldn't, I wouldn't be competitive. I'd have no interest. I'd, I'd just, yeah, I'd practice. But if you were a little bit better than me, or if you, especially, especially if you told me table tennis was your sport, <laughs> You know that I really want to beat you, and and that would be the sa- same if we went and played tiddlywinks. If you told me you were good at tiddlywinks, I'd want to see how good you are. And if I thought I had a chance, if I didn't think I'd have a chance, I wouldn't bother playing. I'd be knowing, or I might try and learn from you. But if I thought I had a chance of beating you, I'd give it a hundred percent. 
When you were moving up through the ranks then, were you looking at people that were a little bit ahead of you and almost picking them off? Exactly. <laughs> always, that was always my, my way of doing it. How could I, how, why were you better than me? And I'd look at everybody like that. Why is that person better? What do they do that's better than me? And, and so if they're better, say if they're better hitting an iron than I am, but I'm better at chipping. All I have to do is match them at hitting an iron and my chipping's going to be better than theirs. So I win. So it was always just just trying to copy their strengths, knowing that my strengths then would beat them on the other side. So it's just, and, and I'm just, I'd be very, and everything I do, I'd be very much like that. I'd be looking at the person beside me and not trying, I, I, you know, I've never, I'd be no interest in watching some guy on TV because that's not real to me. And, and I think that made an influence later on in my career because Michael Campbell won the U.S. Open in 2003, 2003, 2004. He won the U.S. Open. I played a lot of golf with Michael Campbell. And that made winning a major very real to me because I knew what Michael Campbell, how he played golf. I knew how he played on his good days. I knew how he played his bad days. And that made it very tangible that, look, this is what it takes to win a major. And and th- that was the way I ran the whole of my life had to be what was very accessible, what I could see. And I, w- I would automatically work around it and learn from that and, and do whatever it takes to beat the person beside me. What was the sweetest one? I was going to ask you what's your what was your greatest success, but what was the sweetest moment for you like that you thought, OK, maybe I can meet this person. Maybe I can be better than this person. Was there somebody that you overtook almost that you really enjoyed doing it uh, you know I know from my amateur career I've a lot a lot a lot of things happened in my amateur career but I never lost a singles match in the home internationals so we played I played six years so I beat the best players from Great Britain uh, so England Scotland Wales I beat at the top order I played one two or three never lower than that over the years and I, I never lost a few halves. And each time I would come up against those were those guys were getting big press. You know, they were being put up there as big stars. Uh, you know, these were the future. And, you know, they, they these were going to go on to win majors and be pros and be successful. I used to go out there and beat them. And that really gave me that that gave me tremendous pleasure and confidence. That, and I'd have the fear. I have huge fear going out that I was going to get hammered. But I always managed to come up against these guys and I'd figure a way of, of competing, of winning. And I, that gave me huge confidence, I think. When I turned pro, again, similar fear, but winning after... Uh, look, I finished 46th in my first event and I won £1,480. And I rang my mother and said, I cannot believe I played so badly, but I finished 46th and they're giving the money away. That's how I felt about it. The confidence I got from just making the cut in my first event went on, made another half dozen cuts, three top tens, and then a win. And just, yeah, it just was everything followed on. I, 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 I must admit, I things fell, fell nicely in a very nice sequence. My first win is unbelievable. Winning the World Cup with Paul McGinley in '97 was just a big win for us. Uh, you know, making a ride a cup of 99, then going on, you know, I, I had nice periods where I, I would lose tournaments because I, I, 
I, I don't have a regret about this, but I, there's no doubt I spent most of my life playing and practicing for tomorrow and not for today. And, and I, I would have lost a lot of tournaments over that, over the years that I, I spent too much time working on getting ready for the future rather than staying in the moment and playing the tournament that I'm in. And, and there's no doubt I burnt out a lot of weeks by Sunday. But every time I needed a win, I got a win. So, you know, when things, you know, if I went six months or a year where I hadn't won, I'd win again and I'd get a few wins to keep me going. And then once I got a few wins, I'd go back into bit into the training mode again and, and, and start trying to get better and better. And then I wouldn't have won for a while and come back out and win. But it, it was nice sequence of events. Obviously winning a major in 2007, my first major was the pinnacle for me. And, you know, I, my first major was very exciting, but I messed up the 72nd hole and left something wanting. Uh, I won in 2008 the way I would have dreamed of winning, the way any kid would dream of winning as a, as a, if you were to write it down when you were 14 years of age, how you should win a major. Well, 2008 at Berkdale was that. I played great, swung the club great, hit great shots. Everything you dream about. Maybe golf isn't like that, but that's how that one was. It was like, it was kind of perfect. And then I won again in 2008 in, in the PGA Championship, which a bit of a steal. I grabbed it, right place at the right time. Uh, different emotions for all three. Uh, it was a pity, you know, you, if I was looking back, I don't, I said, to win them all so close together, kind of put a, a bit of, a, it would have been easier if I won them spaced out. Uh, you know, if you won them every five years, there's a lot, uh, the, the amount of times people would ask me after 2008, well, you know, how come your game went after that? And I go, well, I actually played much better in 2009 than 2008. I just didn't win. And I played better. In, like I had my, I played better again in 2010. I had my best year statistically T to green in 2012 or 13, you know, so I, I played great afterwards. I just didn't have the wins and it would have been easier, easier media wise if those things had been spread out. Uh, and, and a lot of times people seem to think that, you know, it, it all sort of stopped at that stage. Uh, but it didn't. It just with major golf, the wins come at a period and then, uh, you know, it's hard to sustain that. Uh, but my golf was pretty much the same for a while. And and, and I think I, by the time I got to 2013, I started putting badly. Maybe I was putting a bit too much pressure on myself. I wasn't necessarily in that uh, place that I believed that my my stuff was good enough. And I think if you want to be a sportsman, that's the only only thing you've got to believe is that your stuff is good. That's it. There's nothing else to support. If you believe that what you do is good enough, your self-confidence will bring you along. Uh, if you're always worried that you can push yourself to get better, but you've got to trust in what you're doing. You've answered my question about the performance that defines you. Well, I think that you have because it's what when you look back at the, the you know when you were a teenager and you would think of the perfect performance was that two thousand and eight. I I think all all three majors are going to be lumped together as defining me. Uh, I think they because they came in such a short space of time over over the two years, uh, winning those three majors will be one group. As I said, there was three different emotions in them. Your first one is always the most exciting. Uh, 
second was the most satisfying and the third was just I was in the right place at the right time uh, but the you know the whole I think the three of them are put together with defining me that I won three majors uh, in 18 months and that was or 13 months uh, and that would be my defining legacy in, in terms of golf uh, in terms of, of sport you know my legacy tends to be the fact that I probably changed the face of Irish golf in this, you know, up to that, it wasn't believed that Irish people would go on and win golf tournaments of that magnitude, would win majors. We hadn't won one since 1957. So it really wasn't something that, like, there was 15 guys on tour when I turned pro. So there was 15 Irishmen, sorry, 15 Irish pros on, on tour. Uh, but if you talk to any of them, and they were good players, they didn't believe they could win majors. And, and I think, unfortunately, this probably is coming from the legacy of, of, of Christy Senior, who was, who was one of the finest golfers that there was in the game. And he didn't win a major. And I think that probably put, nobody, if you were logical and you were Irish, you would go, well, I can't hit the golf ball as well as Christy Senior and he couldn't win a major, so I can't win a major. You know, that I didn't have that logic. I, I, I didn't, I never looked at somebody else and said, well, you know, because they couldn't do it, I can't do it. I never looked at being Irish as Irish don't win majors. And, and the journalists will tell me this, that they interviewed the guys when they were leading major tournaments or in and around the lead, and none of them ever believed they could win. I didn't believe I could win, but I didn't believe I couldn't win. So I just went and did it. Uh, and I think the, the fact that I went out and won those majors, obviously, uh, you know, made it so much easier for guys. You'd always believe Rory believed in his own destiny and he he very much had a career that was probably outside Ireland too. So he believed in that, but, you know, certainly would have had an influence on the other Irish winners in Ireland uh, to go on and win their, their majors and make it very real for them, just like Michael Campbell made it real for me. So what's next then? I don't know. I don't know. I, I do hope, I know this question on legacy was coming up and I, I do hope that my legacy makes it easier for all Irish sports people to believe they can achieve on, on the world scale. And the more success we have in the world scale, no matter who it is, whatever, like, and, and I love when I, even though I wasn't the biggest fan as a kid growing up in sport, now I love to see Irish success around the world because I know if we win at anything on an international stage, it means other people in Ireland believe that they can be international stars. And, uh, and you know, that's, that's so important that we don't get caught up in our little world that we're meant to, you know, we're only as good as we should be and we can't, uh, you know, get out of our little box. Uh, we can achieve anything, as I said, as long as you have the right mindset and as long as you don't limit yourself. Uh, and, and, you know, every Irish success is, is a success that, you know, and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe our snooker successes in the 80s helped me. I don't know. You know, seeing people achieve on a world level definitely, you know, makes it seem real and possible. And, and you need that. You need your role models around you in that sense. And you need your role models to be very, uh, be very real. You know, as I said, you, you, you know, that's why I probably never had the ones. I never looked up to people necessarily on, on TV because they're not real. They, they, I don't know what, you know, it makes no, and, 
and not alone are they not real, you've put them up there in such a pedestal, you don't believe you can be them. Uh, whereas if it's somebody from your local community or somebody from down the road or somebody, you know, a friend of your cousin or whatever it is, that makes it, hey, hang on a second, they grew up just like me, I can do it. And it doesn't really matter what sport is in. And what about, um, I'm listening to you now and it's like thinking motivation, like you're so good at motivating people and hearing the motivational speaking, hearing you speak uh, like that. You're the Ryder Cup captain now. Are you going to be bringing people in for motivation or can you do it yourself? Uh, well, I hope to do some of it myself, no doubt about it. Uh, yeah, we 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 still talking about that side of things. I, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to bring somebody in or not. Uh, we know different captains have over the years. Uh, I know I, I've done quite a bit with other teams over the years and, and, and I enjoy doing it, going in and talking. Uh, yeah, I you know, it, it, it's an interesting one. At the week of the Ryder Cup, it's not a training week. You know, so the right time for motivation and speaking is, is during the off-season before you know you start out it's not really a great you know the night before the match it's not the time yeah. the night before the match is, is entertainment keep the people you know in 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 a nice relaxed ready to go mood uh yeah i, I i'm not a, I'm, I'm like i really am a fan of the motivation stuff but it it really is motivation is a day-to-day thing that you know you do the right thing today and unfortunately you've got to get up tomorrow and do it again uh, and then the day after that, and the, the person who does it every day continuously is the one who will have the most success. But it's it's a never it's it's once you go down the road, you have to keep going. You can never stop. So it's it's it is a winter thing. It's a training thing, and it's it's getting used to it. And it's so I, I'm I'm there is going to be some motivation from me, but but uh, I'm not necessarily if if I would be bringing I, I don't want to change the the players themselves. I want them to play and be themselves during the week of the tournament and not be anybody else. Are you going to be hands on? I have a few things. Yeah, I, I, again, you don't want to get too. You don't want to get. You know, these are top, these are top class players, and they they know their stuff, uh, and you want to give them the best chance of just being themselves and playing their own game. There are a few little things that are maybe unique to the Ryder Cup that I would be, I would be encouraging the players. Uh, yeah, very much. There are, few, yeah, I have a few things up my sleeve, no doubt about. It. Yeah, I look forward to hearing and seeing them. And just one last thing before I finish up, the Irish Open is coming up uh, very soon. It's going to be hopefully anyway a great event with some fans there. Are you looking forward to playing it? I am. Yeah, Mount Juliet's a lovely course, a great venue. Uh, you know, it's always nice to be back for the Irish Open full stop. I think we're going to have 5,000 fans uh, and that would feel great. You know, it, I know it's not not the normal 35,000 or whatever, but it, it, 5,000 will be enough to give us the, the atmosphere we need. Uh, and and yeah, hopefully we we have a great week in terms of the Irish and we one of us is up there on the leaderboard or it may be more than one of us and we we bring a bit of joy to the country if we if if we can in in these crazy times uh, and we're kind of all looking forward we i think all of us and, and talking to the other guys we're looking forward to having a, a, a an exciting week uh, it's great you know it's kind of great to be back somewhat back anyway and and it feels like that and uh, there's a nice run on the european tour at that stage so hopefully it will be a, 
a great week of golf. And you kind of, it's interesting, you kind of think of Mount Julius as, as a sunny place. So hopefully we get the weather too and brings it out and it'll be a, a spectacular to watch on TV if you can't be one of those 5,000. That's for sure. Padraig Harrington, thanks so much for sharing your journey with us and for taking the Irish public along with you. It's been fascinating and entertaining and it's not done yet. I hope everybody enjoyed listening and watching. Please share, subscribe and leave a review.